Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya featuring yours truly Yusuf Ponder. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. How you doing? Alhamdulillah, Rav. Good, how are you? Alhamdulillah. 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 All right, before we begin, let's uh let's merge tap into this inshallah. I don't think I would give it an adequate uh, um, a proper suited introduction. So this is also featuring tap essentially. Yeah, yeah. So um taps another show. Uh, so I've got my channel, which is Pondering Soul. And then tap is like a collaboration between me and a few brothers. So there's Jake, uh, who's got a channel called The Muslim Metaphysician, mm-hmm. and then Abdurrahman and Sharif, who themselves unfortunately don't have YouTube channels, um, although I think they should probably start one because they're, they're definitely worthy of one. And um, yeah, and so the, the four of us just do a show pretty much once every, well, it's supposed to be once every second Sunday, mm-hmm. um, but certain things sometimes sort of get in the way of that, and maybe it's a little bit longer. But um, yeah, I think we've got one that's supposed to be going on tomorrow. Um, which I don't know if you, when how long it takes you to upload these, but it might have already happened um, when people mm. are watching this. But we're, we're supposed to be discussing the the subject of uh, why only one God and and why not polytheism. But it's a really cool podcast. We generally just uh, explore certain questions. We'll talk about it for an hour or so, and then start to invite guests on. Inshallah, and, and talk to them. Inshallah. So, yeah, do check that out. Thought Adventure Podcast. Thought Adventure Podcast tab. So I guess featuring the realist philosophical podcast in the dunya, mashallah. <laughs> so without further ado, because um, the topic of why only one God is, is really important. Um, because if you, f- you can follow certain uh, ontological arguments <clears throat> that lead you to one God, right? And yeah. you can deductively come to the conclusion that this is the only possible way real- re- reality could exist. Because you have a multiplicity, it doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. If you don't have one, that's a contradiction. So a lot of people don't understand that um, one, one God is the only way. And two, how important philosophy is. It's something we were discussing recently. So what is philosophy? How do we use it in our everyday life? And why is it important? Yeah, so that, even that question is something philosophers debate, uh, <laughs> which is funny. What is philosophy? So the, the Greek um, root, comes from uh, philos, which means the love of, uh, and then sophia, uh, which means wisdom. So it's technically, according to the roots, the love of wisdom, mm. um, which can also be tied to things like the, the pursuit of truth um, and exploring the, the world of arguments, I guess, and, and dialogue in order to try to attain that truth or that wisdom. Now, how that's played out over the centuries is, just, you know, very different depending on where you are um and it has its benefits but it, it also has its dangers as well um a lot of philosophers end up suffering from existential crisis and things like that uh, you know some of the most famous philosophers um usually it's their their ability to think quite deeply was also accompanied by a sort of uh agonizing anguish <laughs> of sorts like Nietzsche who's um one of my favorite philosophers not because I agreed with everything he said I, I disagreed with a lot of it um but he, he went mad towards the end of his life uh he he concluded his um sanity with a cuddle with a horse um after he saw it being whipped and uh he he hugged it and said I know your pain and then from that point on uh he lost his mind there's a debate whether it was because of the sort of things he was dabbling with because he spoke about nihilism a lot mm-hmm. um, or the gonorrhea that he contracted um, while he was younger in the army. Wow. So <laughs> but there's a discussion <laughs> about it. But yeah, the, the point is, is that philosophy can't, it, you know, it, it, it's very useful for certain things. A lot of things are underpinned by even uh, science as we know it today derived from that. Um, and you know it's it's important in order to be able to sort of figure out the major questions about life, who you are, what are you doing here. Um, all of these are, are philosophical in, in nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's important for us to know why we're here, or to even venture down that path? Because you'll have a lot of uh, New Age atheists and and scientists who argue why is a dumb question to ask, and none of it really matters. Well. 
Yeah, I would say that that like to refer to the the why questions as as silly or as questions that shouldn't really be asked is itself a silly notion. Um, you know, the, the, they often will allude to the 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 beauty of creation and how it strikes awe in you, and they play on that. Now, this awe that is what is motivating these like why questions and you know what is going on how how did i get here how what is all of this now they might try to sort of move from that experience you know the the awe of creation itself to this notion of um dead materialism like the foundation of everything is just mechanical and lifeless at its core um and there is no like overarching grand significance or anything um, but that seems to me to be heavily imposed by the people that are, are pushing that particular sort of line of thinking. It's they they already think that, yeah, and then they have to push that onto it. Because I think in and of itself, and and I really do believe this is the most common experience is when you do look at things like the stars, you look up at the sky, you look at things around you, and you do experience awe it's very, very difficult for the average person to see that being senseless. Yeah. I think, you know, it's to, to look at it through the eyes of the, the sort of the dead materialist, it, it you know, it, it takes a bit of um, being exposed to certain kind of thinking like that of Richard Dawkins or, you know, his ilk. Um, but I think intuitively when you're just going about the majority of people have the same experience. And I think, that you can see evidence of that, um, even with like the study of anthropology. Like, there, Richard Dawkins himself, he admitted this on a Joe Rogan podcast, there hasn't been an atheistic society. Regardless of where you look in history, where on the planet, where in time, all civilizations throughout history have always had a sense of the divine, a sense of spirituality, a connection with something transcendental. Um, obviously there's been differences here and there with regards to how they conceived of it, but the notion was the same. There is something significant about the, the universe. There is something significant about existence itself. Um, and you know, that, that is common throughout all societies throughout yeah. history. Yeah. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And a lot of people, including myself actually didn't know that. Um, and now I'm thinking, is it even, possible to have an atheistic society without something governing like like uh, secularism or liberalism because inevitably as human beings as you talked about this this sense of awe when i learned about it it was um recognition of greatness and respect you know to, to greatness anything we see as great um and the desire to sanctify something this is the reason we see all these societies talked about sanctified something but in a liberalistic and secular society, the object of sanctification becomes, you know, oneself. Yeah. yeah. SubhanAllah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And th th that's interesting because this has got to do with values and what we value the most. Now, atheists, they don't like to see themselves as religious. Um, but obviously, this is the whole, like the core of their, how they understand things. Now, from even from an Islamic perspective, we understand worship quite broadly yeah. Um, in terms of that, which you sort of put at the top of your value hierarchy, we'll say, mm -hmm. and that which you then orient your life around. Yeah. And um, so even in the Quran, it says, you know, have you seen those who take themselves as gods? Yeah. That is, you know, not just that they, they pray to themselves or, you know, they, they say, Oh me, can you provide this? <laughs> or that? Or like, you know, that, the Quran isn't saying that that's what they do. Yeah. What it's alluding to is the fact that, you know, out of everything that they have in their lives, that their own self-interest, yeah. their own self, their own ego, their own nafs is the thing they value the most. Yeah. yeah. And, you, you know, and it doesn't have to be the self. You can value things in the world. Yeah. Right? And you see this with sort of um, the celebrity worship where like, Subhanallah, when I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, I hope uh, I don't get your load of flack from the BTS crowd or the, you know, the K-pop <laughs> fans, but the way they treat these celebrities is akin to a sort of religious nature. Yeah. You know, they, their rooms become shrines to the celebrities that they love. They like, they, they even seek guidance from these people. Like, how does this person live their life 
I want to live my mm-hmm. life like that. It's it's you know, this is how we treat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Quran. Yeah. We we go to that to seek guidance, to seek um, you know, a way of trying to understand how to interact with the world that we find ourselves in. And you know, th- that can be either through you know celebrity worship or through um even you know, the, the the worship of the self so that they'll trust their own intuitions above everything else like oh i don't like this or i like this and you know that it, it gets rather complex but we're, we're it's it's related to this notion of the fact that we are somehow innately sort of built to to value things and with that there's always going to be something at the top of that hierarchy now if obviously if you don't believe in god it's going to be other things it's going to be dunya it's going to be you know something in creation is going to be at the top of that um if you're religious it's going to be something transcendental it's going to be something higher than that um and with us in particular that's going to be allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah um yeah so it's, it's quite interesting yeah subhanallah and it would almost it would be impossible for a human not to have something like that because by nature we're 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 people we're habitual people right mm-hmm. we're, we're people yeah. of habit and particular nature so the way we operate is and this is you know something for myself take it with a grain of salt but essentially the way we operate is it's better to have a general guiding mechanism than to have like a bunch of random specific rules right for this situation do this you know we'd yeah. rather go towards a general uh, guiding mechanism and we do so subconsciously right and this is in the form of whatever Allah has given us, our desires, our nafs, and all of that. It's only when you use your aql, your, your intellect, and your wisdom, and you really tap into your fitrah, that you can recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam and really submit to it, make the conscious decision when you're older to submit to that. But without that, you cannot live a life not being obedient and not submitting to something. Even if, and, and the term nafs, I've heard a lot of interpretations of it and, and translations of it, literally meaning uh, like not just the self or oneself, but the desires, right? So not just themselves as their own gods, but even more specifically, their desires as their own gods and their desires would in that case be their guiding compass, subhanAllah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about... Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's insane. And the problem is a lot of people, you know, don't reflect on these things nowadays because they're so deeply tapped into it. Yeah, well, it, well, if you think about it, so you, you have this desire. What is a desire? A desire is, first of all, a recognition of a lack of something. You don't have X or Y or Z, mm-hmm. um, but you want it. You, you want to attain it. Now, if that desire or that wish becomes the, the focal point of your life, then you know this is akin to worship. Now, when you compare that to say us again, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his pleasure is fundamentally that's you know ideally as well what we're supposed to be orientating ourselves around mm-hmm. um towards his pleasure ultimately and we do everything um you know via the the desire to please him to worship him in order to attain his happiness and inshallah to attain paradise in the end of that yeah. now when you do that that becomes a guiding principle for you 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 can't help but think through that lens like what job am i going to do um, and why am I going to do it for the sake of Allah? And like, how, you know, obviously, am I going to fit that in? Now, if you're doing things haram, that isn't going to work. You can't do the haram for the sake of Allah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is always a factor and it's always playing in how you orient yourselves. Now, you lack that. Mm-hmm. And, but you want things. What do you want? You want things money, power, women, fame, recognition, whatever it is that you want these things are going to be the things that you are directing your life by and for the attainment of them. And, you know, like in the same way, the alcoholic, for example, his, his major focus, his desire, his almost his God um, with the way they treat it is the attainment of a particular state. And, you know, the the way he's going to attain that is through the achieving of alcohol or the the drug addict. Um, And they'll do things that they wouldn't usually do. Um, so the heroin addict might be willing to rob people and they'll do this in a state of desperation. And it, like, so I, I had um, family members that were addicted to heroin and they would do these sort of things. Um, and otherwise they were normal people, very likable. But in, you know, when the desire became so high on the hierarchy of values that they couldn't think of anything else whatsoever, um, 
so my uh, funny story uh my dad he, he was a heroin addict and uh one day he was trying to figure out a way of getting to this place where he could score and uh he was walking and w- one of the neighbors at the end of our street had left his car running to warm up the engine outside of his house and um i know it doesn't sound funny yet but it gets funnier so he, he got into the car and nicked it and then drove off got his stuff came back parked it outside the guy's house again and left a little note saying thank you uh sorry i needed to borrow your car it was an emergency <laughs> and then and got off but for him it was just like you know it, his need to get something just sort of overlooked even his um yeah his you know his place within the community how like he couldn't really see anymore how that wasn't necessarily a good thing um and yeah and you, you see this sort of it, obviously it's not to say that all atheists are like heroin addicts um but it, it's just this example of like when something is your highest value how you, you act from that and that the the atheists themselves they can't get rid of that they still have to have things that they value the most the question is is now what is that now obviously if they're not religious this notion of what they can place at the top of there is by necessity very chaotic it could be anything and so it can be hard to sort of classify it by the nature of the fact that it can be anything from celebrities, from um, power, from money, from, you know, like X, Y, Z. You can just place whatever thing it is that they happen to value the most there. Um, but but it has to be there. There has to be something they value the most. What is that is the question. And yeah. it's going to be quite individual. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of funny because for some atheists, it's still God, right? It's just the the concept, the belief, and the it's like it's like a um, a form of identification for them, right? That God doesn't exist. So it's it's this yeah, claim yeah. that God doesn't exist that they they kind of worship so much and they push like Richard Dawkins. I mm. think the most per, the person who's the most obsessed with the idea of God or God not existing are atheists are atheists like their life is still oriented around god (laughs) yeah we were watching a joe rogan podcast and they were like do you believe in like a creation force like bro just say god (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, it's like they'll they'll try to put anything in there like was it aliens is it a computer program are we in the matrix is it like like that's elon musk period point blank like do you believe in god he's like i believe there is an answer for why we're here like come on bro yeah, there's there is a creative force so you yeah. like you you can categorize it with these certain elements and they just happen a lot of the time to be many of the attributes of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um but yeah it's really funny and it, i guess it's important here to make a distinction as well i think the majority of the majority of people are indifferent mm-hmm. so like in, in probably the same in are you, are you both in canada or yeah yeah um, I can guess it's probably not that different where you are to like in England, but um, so where I grew up was like a council estate, um, which is basically just a, a government funded housing area where people that were on low incomes or single parents or whatever, they, they would go into these places and a lot of it was funded by government. And what you find in these estates is that generally it's, got a lot of problems so there's a lot of people that are like addicted to drugs or alcohol and there's a lot of single parents there's a lot of um you know like children that don't really have fathers around in their lives because they're either just not around at all or they're in and out of prison or they're you know they're dead um or whatever and in these environments god isn't really a common topic like generally it's not very often people talk about God more times. They're talking about the dunya life, like what they want to do, you know, the things that they admire, the celebrities that they are interested in. Um, You know, you can get corny ones like the BTS sort of K-pop followers where we were, that that wasn't like a common sort of thing. It was more rap and hip hop and uh, or we we have um, garage I don't know if you're familiar with Garage. It was like an English form of rap um, on something called, um, I can't even remember all of the names, Dubstep. Oh. We, like, yeah, yeah, so these you know, were the things that everyone was obsessed with and festivals. Um, and every, a conversation would generally go around that. And the only time maybe religion would come up is when we would see like the 
crazy preacher you know the bible person that was usually stood on a box and he was saying you're all going to hell and Mm. it it was always associated with say like the comedy films we'd watched um so there was a lot of media being produced that was sort of ridiculing the notion of religion ridiculing the notion of religiosity Mm. and we would and it's obviously in hindsight now you see that but you can see how this these films and this media and a lot of it was comedy so you know it would make you laugh and like if it gets you laughing as a child um you obviously you're gonna like it and it sticks because it's you know the way that they're presenting the media it really really um sinks in and so we were always associating the nature of the religious person with that with this weird thing and it wasn't until i was about maybe 17 um when i started sort of me like you know i grew up I, I exited the the secular schooling system and I was working now and I was with real people um, and I started meeting religious people and they weren't like that. They weren't these crazy, weird people. The majority of them were all quite normal and you could sit down and have nice conversations with them and interesting conversations with them. And a few of them were happened to be Muslim. And so we used to um, go shisha cafes and things like that uh, when we were a lot younger, 17, 18 and uh, I would ask them all these awkward questions, you know, the, the typical things that people bring up when they're learning about Islam, like, oh, well, this it says this in the Quran, it says that in the Quran. What about this hadith? What about that hadith? And uh, I don't know, they were very patient with me and chilled. And like, how did I get to that? Sorry, I go, I go on these. Talking about how, how people just don't want to believe in God. and then the media Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's, I was in that state. So, um, and you know, subhanAllah, like experiencing normal religious people was weird for me. And then like trying to get my head around these things. And so I used to be very dogmatically atheist. And like a, in philosophy, it's called atheism proper, which is the proposition that there is no God. And you hold that belief and you think you know it. I know that there is no God, um, which is what I would say an atheist is. Um, and then you have like lesser forms of atheism or like agnostic atheism. Where they're like, they just say they don't believe, but, um, you know, they're not 100% sure if there is one or not. And then that even goes into different categories. Is it because you think that it's impossible to know or just it may be possible to know, you just haven't sort of come across these answers. So this is spectrum, but the majority of people are, I would say, um, apathetic or yeah. just uninterested. And it's if it's a conversation, it's generally in terms of like how it humors them or it's a form of comedy. Wow. I mean, let me ask you this. If there was an atheist in a room and he told you that, you know, you're like sitting across from him and he said, you got five minutes to convince me that God exists. What would you say? I'm putting it on the say, spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah time yeah. starts now. Go. Well, I would say, I don't know if it's something you can convince someone in five minutes. Mm. Like for me, it wasn't five minutes for me. So I was, I was raised Christian, mm-hmm. a Catholic specifically. And we were learning all about, you know, the Trinity and everything in school. And, um, and then this whole atheist period of my life happened during my teenage years. Um, and then I started talking about it properly when I was about 17. I didn't take my Shahada until I was 24. And I think I read the Quran maybe twice in that time. I'd read a lot about the life of the Prophet Muhammad about the Sahaba. I'll be pleased with them all. I went and stayed in Buddhist temples. In like I was like it took me a while. Like it didn't take me five minutes. And I think it's all of these sort of experiences and looking at the world and looking into these religions and having conversations with interesting people that you know it, it chips away at you bit by bit by bit and it, it's incremental steps i don't think you're ever going to convince anyone in five minutes um, what about what about people that say am i just not guided there's a lot does 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 god just not want to guide me why can't i you get me yeah, yeah, yeah. well that, that can be the case um but i would say sometimes a lot of it's sort of tied to the kind of life we choose to live now there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors that people you know Allah knows what's hidden in the deepest parts of our hearts you know we, we all have these parts of us that we keep secret these thoughts that we don't talk to people about 
um, we maybe these conversations like we're, we're very complex beings there's a lot going on with people and there may be certain problems or certain habits that you just refuse to give up that you really should do that acts as an impediment to your we'll call it spiritual sight i guess um so that you know and like allah says in the quran it's um they i did not wrong them but they wronged themselves that is allah isn't wronging them they maybe act or do certain things and that is something that can what well, we, we would say uh, from the islamic perspective would be to, that clouds the fitra that makes it difficult to see and that can be anything from just engaging in things like alcohol too much and you know taking drugs or smoking weed or smoking cigarettes or just chasing women now what's usually the case is when these things, which are bad for you, and I would say an impediment um, to the fitra, um, usually what happens is, is that there has to be a development of a dislike for these things, or um, it's not necessary, but most of the time, you have to begin, you get to a point where you start to hate these things for whatever reason, because you, you, you go into it naively. Have you ever seen Pinocchio? I love this example. You know Pinocchio? So you remember Pleasure Island? No. Don't remember. You know, you watch Pinocchio. You don't remember Pleasure Island. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. So, right. So Pinocchio's the little wooden boy, and he wants to be a real boy. And they, he, he's walking down the road with some other lad, and this fox, the slimy character, comes up to him. He's like, "Oh, have you heard of Pleasure Island? We're we'll going there. You want to come?" And he's like, "Pleasure Island." And he's a young, naive boy, and we are all that at one point in lives we're all these young silly naive boys we're ignorant we don't know about the world and we incline but you know like my, my daughter for example she's like give me ice cream give me ice cream she just wants if she could she'd just live off ice cream and sweets and to her that's like the best thing ever and if someone came along to her and said would you like to live off ice cream and sweets she'd just jump straight on that she'd say yeah and like when i tried to get in the way of that and stop that I said, no, 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 come on, you got to eat healthy food if you want to grow up to be like a healthy human being without black teeth. Like, you, you know, you've got to sometimes do things that you don't like and restrain from things that you do like. It's just, but at, at that early stage in life, it's hard to see that. Um, and this, this man or the, these men are taking advantage of that naivety in these young people and inviting them to this place called Pleasure Island, which, as you can probably tell from the name, um, is just this place filled with pleasure. Like they get to live hedonistically. They can do what they want. And um, it's just like a huge fun ground. So they get to drink, they get to smoke, they get to break things, they can play pool, they can do all of these things and there's no one telling them not to do it. So there's vandalism and fights and fires and like everything, whatever they want, they get to do. Um, and they, they think it's a good thing. They think it's a good thing. But then what happens is, is slowly they start to turn into donkeys. Are you familiar? Is it striking a memory at all? Or can you still not remember? Was it that long ago? So they, they, they literally turn into donkeys. And it, it's, it works really well as an analogy to life because that is what happens. And that's certainly what happened to me and what I saw happening to people all around me and still happening to today in that, we are told, you know, we're sold this story about, um, you know, the Western ideals, about, you know, liberalism, freedom, yeah. um, you know, like do what makes you quote unquote happy. And, but there's, no, there's not much discussion about the distinction between what happiness or true happiness is or being content, living a fulfilled life with just pleasure seeking. As a kid, these things aren't explained to you, you and you just sort of see them as the same thing. A happy life is one filled with pleasure. But then you, you engage in these things which cause pleasure and you keep doing it to the point where the, the effects diminish, where they become like, they, 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 there is no feeling anymore. There is no pleasure. Like for anyone who's drank, the first drink always gets you wasted. Mm -hmm. Like my family are all Scottish. And so I think I... First time I got drunk was in 2000. So I'd have been maybe even younger than that. But I remember the first memory of properly getting drunk was the millennium. Mm -hmm. We were in Scotland. Everyone was celebrating it and they gave me a Budweiser. 
and and me and my brother were running around and we were off our head on a couple of Budweiser and that was just one and then as you get older and you sort of acclimatize to it you need more and you need more and you need more and there's a guy I know now he's in his 60s he'll go out and he'll drink something like 18 pints and he's not uh, unconscious it just doesn't make any sense but he's been drinking so long that his tolerance has increased to the point where he needs more of it and it's the same with everything yeah sorry go on you want to say something no I was going to say it's like psychologically you just want to recreate that first high or that first buzz. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and you keep chasing it mm-hmm. like with heroin as well it's they they say that it's called you're just chasing the first experience mm. and it's like um for heroin in particular they, they describe it as like being kissed by god over it's but the, you know they, they they just for them it's such an experience that they can't mm. explain it without having to refer to the best thing they can imagine and then every attempt to get there always fails and they always require more and more and more and more in order to get that first thing and it's the same with things like chasing women um you know like that first experience of being with a girl it you know it's exciting it's this it's that um but then like a lot of the time especially young men in the west this this ideal of women is generally shaped by heavy pornography use from a very early age like we were exposed to um pornographic magazines from in primary school so i had been maybe even like nine at the time and um and then the internet comes in and this is as a young man, you've got all of these chemicals pumping through you, you, you know, you start to hit puberty and then you just have like unlimited access to the internet. And the generation that is looking after us is clueless about what on earth is going on on the internet. Like it's new to everyone. So they don't know what's happening and we've just got this access to it. And it's, it's developing in a, a particular culture within the youth where like and the, the the parents just had no idea about it why because it's an embarrassing thing to talk to your parents about you're just not you know like as if anyone's going to be telling the mum about the things that they've been looking at on the internet but it, it develops this strange little culture it develops how you you see women and and what you end up doing is women become a game and like it, it, obviously depending on who you are like you have maybe the the ones that weren't necessarily able to even talk to to women and you get the development of this sort of incel quote-unquote culture um which is the people that just sort of talk on the internet about how they wish they could get women and generally again it's sort of talked about in a particular manner or you get the people who you know are at least a little bit confident enough to be able to do that um to you know to seek women and at least um be somewhat successful with them and what you find is that it never really lives up to the expectations it's never quite like that first experience and you know the lust is there to begin with but it dies down it fades out and you know they confuse this feeling of lust of this ecstasy this excitement with love and they'll refer to it as love. Oh, I'm in love with this girl. Oh, she's amazing. And then what they're describing is basically just being just really, really desiring someone. That, and that isn't love. That's wanting what you don't have. Yeah. But then the problem with that is, is when you have it, it loses its effect. And, you know, that isn't, that's not love. That's something completely different. It's like, um, you know, the aftershave. If you ever walk past someone, I use the same examples a lot. So anyone who's sort of familiar with, me on YouTube's gonna have heard this a lot anyway. Um, but when you walk past someone and they've got an aftershave you've not smelt before, but it's like, that's banging that, I want it. What, and you, you have to ask them, like, what, what are you wearing? And you love it and then you get it and you wear it and you're like, yeah, I smell sick. And then uh, after a bit of time, like you can't smell it anymore and it gets annoying and you're like, I've just sprayed some on. So you, sp- uh, you know, after wearing it for a while, you have to like mm. pretty much swim in it. But yeah. you like you can't smell it. It's, it just doesn't have the effects. So you either have to what go to a new aftershave or keep putting more and more aftershave on. Um, generally, you'll maybe switch it up and you'll try a new smell. And you know, the, the, when, with youth um, where I came from, um, and I don't know what it, it's probably very much the same everywhere in the West with the young men. Uh, this is just, you know, if you have the ability to drift from woman to woman, then generally that happens. It's very, very, very rare you see long-lasting relationships in youth. Yeah, you, you don't see that. You see short, 
you know up down relationships where it's like super super high they sort of make gods out of each other they idolize each other they see each other as perfect and then they make this ideal of each other so high that neither is is destined to fail because neither can live up to this sort of perfect character that's been made of them they all have flaws you know like they fart they stink sometimes maybe they get nervous and sweaty maybe they you know say something strange um or they make a mistake and then like when any of these flaws sort of appear this image especially with young people i'm i'm talking about teenagers here that image just shatters and it goes from like oh they're the perfect person to poof the worst person ever the enemies it's you know like it's it's rare you see like a chilled breakup where someone's not like completely distraught um yeah, subhanallah. Sorry, I went. I go on rambles. Feel free to. Uh, no, <laughs> don't worry about it. It was all. Bro, I could hear you talk all day. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Nowadays, we really we romanticize the idea of romance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we romanticize the idea of being with someone in a like you like you mentioned like you described like in this perfect sense, mm. and we set up these ex. I think that the the, the the best way I could summarize it personally is having no expectations of yourself, but insane expectations of the other. And now you have two people who expect so much from the other, but have no expectations or standards for themselves. Yeah. That something like that, obviously, as you said, is bound to fail. And subhanAllah, it's because people are, they're looking for the wrong things. They're looking at the wrong things and they're looking for the wrong things. By definition, happiness is just a feeling, right? It's a feeling of excitement and, and all this stuff. But contentment is a state. It's a state of happiness. So what should we really be chasing, right? If you're chasing happiness, it's just a constant, you know, that moment. But if you're chasing contentment, or if you're working towards contentment, you're working towards being in a state of happiness, just... Yeah as you are it's not even it's not so there's something important here it's distinct from happiness yeah. so life is ups and downs mm-hmm. yeah now contentment is the ability to be able to even experience the downs and still be chilled about it yeah like you know being upset being sad isn't the end of the world for you yeah. like you're, you're able to keep yourself composed yeah even in those moments now someone who isn't content they will be dragged around like a dog on a leash yeah. when they're both happy and when they're sad. Yeah. When they're happy, it's like, you know, life is perfect. It's never going to end. And the loss of that, if you're not content, if you're content, you're wary of happiness. Yeah. You're like, you know, yeah, it's, it's here, but you're, you're realistic in the sense that, you know, it's, it'll fade. Something will happen. Uh, it's not going to be here forever. And so you don't, you know, it, you, you might be able to feel it and enjoy it when it arises, but you don't attach yourself to it to the degree that you just sort of, you know, you expect it to be there forever. Cause that's not what life is. Life is not, you know, life ultimately ends in death. Yeah. Like even whoever you love, you know, be that your, your mother, your father, your, your wife, your children, all of them die eventually. You know, it's, it's sad. And the older you get, the sadder the life can become. You, because, you know, you become ill as you get older. You become more decrepit. You hit a peak and then you decline. Yeah. You know, that is the inevitable story. It's not as, you know, all of these fairy tales yeah. put it. It's not always a happy ending. Yeah. It, it's um, And to be content is to sort of see that that is the end of things. Yeah. That that is the, the reality of life. That life isn't just happiness. It's also suffering. Mm-hmm. And to allow yourself to, to recognize, it's, it's an optimistic realism in a sense that you, you know, yeah, you, these things are going to happen. Yeah, it's going to suck when they do. Um, and yeah, it's nice when good things happen and I'll enjoy it. But contentment is just to sort of, take a step back from this roller coaster of ups and downs and to just allow yourself to experience them without uh, you know, sort of holding onto them yeah. um, or, you know, making too much of a big deal out of them. I mean, it's, it's difficult, 
most people are just sat on that roller coaster and like you know when they get up to the top they want it to stay there forever and you know when they get to the bottom they want it to end and they'll try and do whatever they can to make it end whereas the one who's content when they're at the bottom they're not they don't act desperate in order to make that feeling cease you know they're not doing silly things like moving back to the example of the teenage love experience for example the boy or the girl who idolizes their partner and then the partner gets bored of them and dumps them it's like nah you know i, I don't fancy you no more um that's it and it breaks their heart they become pathetic and like I, i've done this there's been girls who have done it with me i know friends who have done this like where they just they they are not themselves and they make themselves into this really like lower pathetic version of themselves where they'll they'll do any obviously there's a few lads or girls that probably have never done this but they're the minority they're like the the peak quote-unquote in terms of um ability to choose but you, you know you become pathetic and you'll beg please be with me or you you see this in youth and um mm. it's yeah subhanallah yeah you know, it's it's this idea of like you want to escape this negative feeling so much that you'll do anything to get out of it and yeah. you sort of you think that happiness lies in this person and so you know you flock and think but obviously this is extremely distasteful um for the person that's experiencing you like begging them that's not attractive <laughs> in any way whatsoever yeah. so it never works um <laughs> but yeah subhanallah. yeah subhanallah um yeah that one hits home man i feel that one um i've honestly i've been there and it yeah, really yeah. Uh, alhamdulillah that's Same. why i love islam so much man that's why i love islam so much because the prophet i said um he said remember often you know the destroyer of all desires he didn't just say death he said the destroyer of all desires now why did he say that because he knows what we're living for or this destroyer of all pleasures um he knows what we're living for is is you know these pleasureful moments this is what people cling to especially yeah. in this kind of society because you make yourself you know you're as we said before your god your guiding compass what you want you should get you know me myself and i that's what matters so when you have that as your mechanism and the only thing is guiding you to is your your desires and your pleasures you're bound to be succumbed by those and by those moments those highs and all of that and when you become that short-term gratification seeking person the long term doesn't matter so long term you messed up but when you're content and this is the thing subhanallah before we end off contentment to me just seems like not expecting too much, not wanting too much, not desiring too much. And like subhanAllah, it's amazing because again, that's what Islam just tells us to do, to detach from the dunya. I heard this beautiful hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He went up to this rotting goat carcass and he picked it up by the ear and he said, who wants to buy this from me? And the Sahaba are like, you know, why would we want to buy that? We wouldn't even want it for free. He's like, you don't want this? I'm like, no, why would he want it? And long story short, the Prophet sent him, he said that this, in your eyes, Allah views the dunya as even less than what you view, view this carcass as. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. And we're, we are chasing it. We're getting depressed over it. We are running after it. SubhanAllah. Like, like our lives depend on it. Yeah. Well, this, it all turns to dust. All yeah. goes back in the box eventually, and you can't take it with you when you're dead. And um, yeah, so I think this is like one of the key things with like Islam and you know with religion in general is with this notion of spirituality is is generally it's a recognition of the how everything turns to dust, how you can sort of chase things, and if you're doing it in and of itself. It, it means nothing at the end and it can only mean something via something greater than it all, all of it. And, you know, so by doing things for the sake of Allah um, or, you know, when you recognize the, the highest sort of level of uh, contentment is attained um, through a desire for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the dunya becomes something much easier to deal with. You know, it's, um, it's something you can chill with. You're going to get things, you're going to lose things. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm aiming for something that's, you know, more lasting, something that doesn't corrode, something that doesn't turn to dust or rot like that. 
that goat carcass that you mentioned. <laughs> Some unconditional. Yeah, exactly. Subhanallah. May Allah grant us Jannah, man. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. How about you, Fayyad? Hmm? How about you? you? You strike me as uh, someone who maybe broke a few hearts in your, your teenage no, years. Come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> when you when you were talking about the the whole idolizing over like another human being, it was really relatable. I know Rami could relate to that too. It just yeah. he's bringing back like facts and like flashbacks from like Jahiliya. Yeah, younger. T- it's, but this is the thing: it's like teenage years are pretty much like this, and especially in the West because you've got these mixed schools and i know for a fact that when you're a young teenager and you're you know you're hitting puberty you've got all this testosterone running through you mm. you've got all these lads about you that you're constantly competing with it with loads of things and then you throw in women into that who are all starting to wear makeup and dress provocatively and this that and the other like in high school it was it was so difficult to sort of like focus on anything other than like the women you were into um that were around you and it was the same for the girls as well they they were like everything seemed to resolve, revolve around sort of you know who's going out with who who's dating who who's done what um you know has he kissed that person is <laughs> you know it's 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 a a gossip mm factory and like the, the gossip is fueled by these sort of relationships that are bubbling and dying out and you know what's going on and generally the, the school element the learning aspect is just a bit annoying it's like ah, we've got to go to maths and try to figure out how to pass and you, you'll hear it so commonly with a lot of people that go to school is they're just sort of learning so they can pass the GCSEs and then the majority of people just forget everything after that I don't know. You don't have GCSEs. What do you have in uh, North America? Uh, well, honestly, it depends on where in North America. Like, if you're in the states, they have SATs. Yeah. For us, we don't really have. We have uh, in Canada. We have standardized testing called uh, the EQAO, which is just like a, a math component that you have every three years, I believe. Right. Yeah. So and it's like higher education before yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, no, nah, we have that in third grade, sixth grade, ninth grade. I think 12th grade, not really sure. No, that means anything. Once, me. once you've done 12th grade, we just go to university. That's it. How old are you in 12th grade? 18. 17, yeah, so, 18. so for us, we have primary school, which you finish when you're about 10. Yeah. And then you go into high school, which you spend mm-hmm. five years in, in your teenage years, from about 10 till about 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And when you pass high school, you get GCSEs. And then you don't have to go to school anymore. You can finish at 15, 16. But you can then go to college. And so you'll go to college for two years and try to get A-levels. And then once you've got an A-levels, you can go to university. Okay, so college, where you're saying A-levels, that's like, for us, that's just 11th and 12th grade. It's just because high school for us is from 14 to uh, 18 that we have to do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's slightly different. But um, yeah, so that with all of that, it was, yeah, a lot of it was just, chasing people you were attracted to and then the teachers were annoying and that you'd have maybe some cool teachers and the only reason they were cool was because they would let you learn by playing games of some sort yeah or just play games and not learn at all so we had one teacher who'd uh he'd, he'd let us play doom he was the it teacher and instead of learning how to do uh what was it electronic products we were supposed to be making like a soldering switchboard or something and um, the exam was to make a, a some board. I can't even remember the terminology anymore. It was that long ago. But to make an alarm for a shed. And mine, in the end, because we spent the whole time just playing uh, Doom on computers, uh, mine was an alarm that went off when you were not being robbed. And uh, <laughs> it was when it went silent that you'd uh, you'd want to start worrying. So it wasn't a very good alarm system. But yeah, it was just messing about. And um, (laughs) (laughs) it was either that, playing computer games. That was an old boys class. It was just uh, messing about on computers. And if it was mixed, it was like trying to be the clown of the class, trying to impress the women in the room or whatever. Or just seem cool in front of your peers. Yeah. um, Yeah. 
But it's yeah, normal. it's normal. I think in Western culture with kids these days, there's mm. a. I think each generation of teenagers lives a distinct world um, that is completely unseen by the majority of the uh, the generation that precedes them. Yeah. And there's these like huge gaps where, and you see it especially when the elderly are talking about the teenagers. Yeah. Uh, it's like these young kids, I don't get what they're doing. And the kids can't relate to the elderly at all because they are from a completely different world. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's about, and this is definitely being sort of exasperated or accentuated by um, the modern predicament, you know, with the, int- uh, the introduction of things like the internet yeah. um, with, you know, the increase in things of technology where use back in the day way back in the day your grandchildren were probably living in the same world that your your granddad lived in and you know that that's like six generations of difference and there wasn't really much changing in the world as time moved on and now it's like things are changing every half a decade like there's a completely new shift in culture in the way like you think the 80s or you think the 60s and how they're different from the 70s and how they're different from the eight, uh, 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And every decade is distinct to the point where it's like, it, it's going through radical transformations, like, hmm. you know, a dozen times in one lifetime, almost. Whereas that never, you know, maybe you'd have radical changes in lifestyles once every century or something back in the day, you know, if that. It makes you like link up with like kids that are the next generation and you, you just feel so old. You know, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. see that a lot. Like, what do you guys remember that name of that thing? I'm not really too too familiar with it. It's like that little vape thing. It's like it, it became a fad. And like, yeah, the, I think it was just called a vape, innit? No, no, no. Those little ones with with nicotine. All the kids had it. Vape, yeah, vape. Not vape. It's vape. Like a name. Yeah. Name of Rami. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know. You're Am talking I about that old that I I see, just think see, it's called Rami vape. knows what I'm talking about, but you don't know the name. It's on the tip of my tongue, but it's, I can't. I know. I know. It, it it is a vape, but it's like. It's a nicotine. Jewel, jewel. That's the one. What? So, see, you don't even know. It's called the jewel. Make me and, feel dusty now, man. Bro, <laughs> I feel dusty. It took me this long. So, how old are you as well? I'm um, 20. See, that's, bro, I don't even know how old I am. Uh, 97. <laughs> 21. Uh, 97. Wow, mashallah. You're looking good for a 97 year old. I'm just a good How about you? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm 32. That joke went right over your head. Come on, bro. You're you're looking good for 32 as well, bro. That's what when you were saying, yeah, I have a daughter. I was like, bro, come on, what are you talking about? Mashallah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mashallah. And you're a reaver, bro. I have so much respect for you because when I when I first started talking to you, when I found your videos, I thought you were born Muslim. You look you look Muslim. Your name's Yusuf. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, he's he's been Muslim all his life. So Polish out my head, mate. Polish. Nah, no way. Mashallah. Maybe it's just a bald head in the beard. Could be, could be. And then I found that you have a daughter. I'm like, okay, so he's not 20 anymore. He's probably like 26, 27. Now I'm finding out you're 32. 32, man. Getting getting old. Guess guess how old Rami is. Pulling muscles I didn't even know I had. (laughs) (laughs) We we actually... This is a a running joke. Oh, he knows? Yeah, he knows. But how how Um, old do you think I am if I didn't tell you? I would have both said, for both of you, maybe mid to late 20s. You know what it is? It's the full beard. Like pictures of me when I was your age, I had a pathetic, like whisker beard. It was horrible. Like I couldn't grow nothing. Nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, subhanallah. Bro, me just like a year, two years ago, I had like nothing. Like I had a mustache, a little bit of hair here, and like. What's even- the secret? Is it just genes, or did you? What nah, did you do? Man, did you go fight bears or something? Yeah, yeah. So genetics, huge, huge factor. But me, like even my dad, he can't grow hair here. So what I try, what I started doing was taking a derma roller, which what, is what's a derma roller? It's, it's basically a micro needler. So it's like it's like a little thing that has little tiny little spikes. It's right? a roller, yeah. and then and then you basically roll that, and the little spikes like make tiny little you know tears Michael. and abrasions into your skin, and those little little you know little hair, uh, not hair, little uh, pins. They make these little holes, and that's enough to trigger like micro inflammation. And then that inflammation causes more blood flow, more right. blood flow, and then it grows more hair. So Rami, I could have done with this. You even see him two years ago, you know. And what people do to maximize that is they add something else like Rogaine or Finasteride or something like that, because it literally goes right in if you're making micro micro holes. Yeah, yeah. I also use beard like Spartan beard oil on top of that. 
Yeah, what, what we're trying to say is if you looked at Rami two years ago, you wouldn't recognize him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you'll have to send me um, a little picture. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah, you'll see pictures of me. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it, bro. Nice, but it's, while it's you good. while you get that popped up, I was gonna say, uh, you know, when I was in high school, you know, kids were just you know sneaking out to smoke weed, and it was just a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm saying like the, the generation now. I was going to pick up one of my cousins from from school, and like it was a couple, I think two years ago, a year ago. You, I saw kids just jeweling. So you were like, what is a jewel? It's like a little, little oh, yeah, so mini vape, you know, with a little mini jewel pod, like a cartridge. They were just vaping or jeweling in class. Teachers weren't, doing, weren't even doing anything. But th- this is interesting as well, because this relates to this, um, the, the world becoming a mirror of its older self, where it's flipping, it's turning upside down. Mm-hmm. And like everything is. So like you look at, like it, it relates to everything, like birth rates have inverted people used to have loads of children now they're not even having enough children to replace Sustain, the current yeah. generation so you've got like less than two replacement rates like 2.1 so and when you have really 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 low birth rates um what also happens is you have this flipping of the society um in terms of it becomes top heavy so obviously if, if you've got more old people in the society that's a necessary result of the fact that this that that generation didn't have many kids and the kids they had didn't have many kids and so you have a small amount of youth supporting a, a very large elderly base so that's that's a flip whereas in older societies it's the other way around you have mm-hmm. lots of young and not many elderly in relation to how many young there are so that's wow. flipped and then the authority hierarchy is flipped as well. Like the elderly are no longer seen as authoritative. They're seen as oppressive. And it's all about the youth leading the way. It's all about like, and even kids, they know they can get away with whatever they want. They know that you can't give them a backhand or anything like that. Back in the day, I would get chased um, down the street. <laughs> and if they got hold of me, I'd get a slap. For, you know, if I gave cheek to like one of my elders, and like now there was a kid walking past me and I was with my daughter and uh, she's old enough now she can talk, she can understand things. And this kid, he's like 10, 11, he's swearing. And I'm like, yeah, lad, what are you doing? Kiddia, you want to not swear? And he just gave me the worst stink I had ever had in my life. And like, might as well have just told me to shut up and then just carried on walking and swearing. And like, he didn't listen to me. And then it was at that point, it was like, if he'd have just said, what are you going to do? What would I have said? <laughs> like, like, absolutely nothing, young sir. Just uh, pretty please. <laughs> Don't swear. Like you can't do anything, and they know that. And so there's the, and in classes as well. We knew this, and um, in high school, uh, I I was a smarmy little git, and I, I used to know how to like tread the line very carefully, where I could annoy the crap out of my teacher, and we couldn't get in trouble. And we had this one science class. And the teacher was just so boring. Um, and we did whatever we wanted, so long as we all did it at the same time, because they, t- they couldn't tell us all off. And so we all got paper balls one day and we're saying, right, we're going to go into class, bring flour, water bottles and paper balls. And so we're all sat there and he's talking about whatever science topic he was talking about. And then um, when he had his back turned, we all threw paper balls at him all at the same time. So he had like, you know, a barrage of paper balls hit him and he turned around and he's blamed one person. And then we all rioted and we were, we were like spraying the, you know, what they called the fire extinguisher. We were spraying that around the room. We were throwing, he had all these plants. We were throwing plants about in mud and um, we started having a water fight because it was like a science lab. So we could all fill up bottles and we were throwing water about people after that, when everything was fully drenched, we started pulling out flour and we were throwing that about. And because we all did it, there wasn't, they couldn't do anything. There's a division of responsibility there, yeah. Yeah, but we had, we knew we had power there. Mm. And there was niche that they could do about it. And what happened is we got like a class detention, but who cares? <laughs> like, that was such a fun class. Like, we had lots of fun we, and we felt powerful and we absolutely ruined this. You know, obviously, I, I'm not proud of that now, but at the time, we, we were very proud of it. We were very arrogant. Um, and the fact that we knew we had this power, we took advantage of it. And this one teacher came in and he was annoyed. Like when he came in, like everyone rushed and panicked. And then I was like, I'm going to be a cocky git. 
I'm not going to panic. And so I just like slowly, and I think I even walked extra slow just to like really kind of get across the point that I didn't care. And then I sat down and then he got annoyed and um, he started shouting at me. I just gave him a lot of lip back. And he said, right, get to my office. I went to his office and he was so desperate to like be able to do something and get me in trouble. Cause it was, he couldn't really do nothing. He couldn't suspend me. Mm. The most he could do is maybe give me a detention. Um, But he was screaming in my face, asking me to punch him. This is like the deputy head of the year or something like in my face, asking me to punch him in the face. And I'm just like stood there just laughing at him because I knew he, that I'm not stupid. If I do that, I'm going to give you all the fuel you need to, um, to get me in trouble. But I'll just stand there and just smile in your face and like there's nothing you can do about it. And um, But that's, again, this flipping of the hierarchy. Like the youth uh, have a lot of power over the, uh, the adults and the adults are starting to feel more and more powerless, um, especially the elderly in relation to the youth who just pretty much get to do what they want and mm. if the elderly do if the elderly exercise any sort of power it's referred to as oppression of some sort um yeah. and yeah it's, and you see a lot of problems sort of developing because of that so i found pictures of me perfect uh, in my youth let's take a look bro and then if you want to quickly do maghrib and i think which ones i'm ashamed of it. <laughs> bro it reminds me of uh there was a prophecy of the apostle Islam saying uh there's going to come a time when it's like a sign of the end of times of the last hour when those that shouldn't be given, you know, responsibility and power, right. They have it. And then those that, you know, should be, they don't have it. Yeah. yeah. And it's just today. today. Exactly. The, the the flipping of the, the power hierarchy Mm -hmm. right here. You can see my, right. So this is um, me in Gran Canaria thinking I'm absolutely sick down in mango juice. Um, and you can see my pathetic beard. How Where are you going to send it? I'm going to share. Oh, yeah. Let me just uh, give you the... I'll make you host so you can share it. Uh, like I, I was a very, very different person. It's making me cringe looking at it. <laughs> so this is like... Young... That's not you. No way. That's you. That's, that's me, bro. That's me. That's me. And then there's like other ones. So when I was like traveling, uh, here's me with, with the lads. We were getting on it. Uh, how do I close this now? Honestly, mate, I'm starting to feel proper old now. Everything's weirding <laughs> me out with technology. Um, so there's me in the middle with the gold hat on or the FIFA Vendetta mask. And then this is like all the people I used to hang about with. You see it? I don't know if it's sharing or not. Is it sharing? Yeah. Yeah, it's running. You're muted, bro. My bad. I was just saying that's quite the crowd, mashallah. Yeah, it was just uh, proper chaps. That's not the mandem, bro. That's more like a little civilization. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was just uh, a very different person. Um. But yeah, you could see the beard as well. It was pathetic. It was like a, a couple of little whiskers here. Yeah. Mm. And I was saying maybe I've um, had all these bloody how to grow beard secrets. <laughs> and I might have got on that. But I always thought it was about um, doing some stuff that scared you. So like oh, yeah. for me, it was like, a, you know, you go, you go fight some bears or something. Or you, you, know, <laughs> you, you go uh, wrestle a tiger. Uh, that, that'll put some hairs on, you, on your chin. <laughs> mm. I, thought, I thought the saying was, was hairs on your chest. Wow. Yeah, no, but the, the the chin was what I was concerned with. I didn't want a, a hairy chest. But yeah, I need to pray in Maghrib. Um, this was a good E. Uh, I was going to say, um, after you've done Maghrib, how much more time do you got approximately? As much as you want, bro. As long as adult don't wake up. Okay, because Rami has about, you know, give or take like 30, 35 minutes. So if today doesn't work, do you want to film tomorrow? Today works, bro. Just um, no, I'm saying like because uh, I think Rami has to leave, right? Yeah, yeah. Rami, how much more time do you got? So I want to be out by six, so like that's half an hour. So, so half an hour. Uh, yeah. So if we do start, it would just be me continuing. But are you free by like by any chance tomorrow? Uh, maybe same time. It might be a bit difficult because okay. I've got to try um 
there's a few people I need to try to speak to. In, in that case, why don't we do this? You can go print Maghreb, take your time. When you get back, we'll start it. And then Rami, when you have to leave, you can excuse yourself. We'll just continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds okay. great. Perfect. All right. So I'll send a new link so this one can start exporting. Yeah. All right. Well. Shouldn't we properly end the episode? Like make a cut and then. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. In yeah, that yeah, case, go. in that case, uh, editor, cut here. You sound like Yahya, mashallah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jazakallah khair, brother Yusuf, for this amazing episode. May Allah bless you. Guys, make sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, and look forward to the next episode coming soon with brother Yusuf, inshallah. Allahumma atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adab nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.